Welcome to another episode of the LA Public Health Podcast. I'm Steve Baldwin. As variants of the COVID-19 virus continue to emerge, the number of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations is much higher than they were at this time last year. New Omicron variants are very infectious and spreading quickly across LA County. LA County's CDC community level is still medium, but that could change to high in the next couple of weeks. Our weekly case rate is more than 300 cases per 100,000 people. If COVID-19 has a bigger impact on our healthcare system, there will be changes to things like mask requirements and vaccine verification requirements. There are many safety tools available to prevent the spread of COVID-19, including wearing a mask in public places, moving activities outdoors and gathering outside in fresh air whenever possible, getting tested if you have symptoms or have been exposed to someone with COVID-19, and staying home if you're sick. In addition, vaccines remain a powerful tool that continue to provide substantial protection against hospitalizations and deaths across all ages and racial and ethnic groups. One age bracket that until recently had yet to be approved for the vaccine was young children aged six months to four years old. However, the FDA has recently approved vaccines for our most precious young ones. To answer your questions about safety concerns and what families need to know about COVID-19 vaccines for very young children, I spoke with Dr. Nava Yagene, Medical Director of Vaccine Preventable Disease Control in the Acute Communicable Disease Control Program here in the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Dr. Yagene, it's wonderful to have you back on the program. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me here, Steve. So, Dr. Yagene, we uh, are doing something a little bit different this episode. We have questions from our listening audience that we opened up to the public online. And so I have a list of questions that our listeners have sent us about this very topic, about vaccines in very young children. And so if you don't mind, we'll just get right into the list of questions that I have. That'd be great. I'm looking forward to it. All right. We'll start from the top and just make our way down. So number one is certainly not a softball question here. These are some tough ones. You can still get COVID-19 even being fully vaccinated, this listener writes. There are a lot of kids I know who survived COVID-19 before vaccination and didn't end up in the hospital. Yet we're told it will minimize symptoms and prevent hospitalization. My understanding is how the vaccine works is similar to the flu and those vaccinated are still hospitalized. So please help me understand the push of emergency use, especially in kids who have a very high chance of surviving. Yeah, so that's an excellent question and something definitely that a lot of experts have discussed. And if you have listened into any of the meetings, it's definitely come up. The way I think about it as a pediatric infectious disease doctor is that there is this tremendous burden of disease in this age group. Like was mentioned, the vaccine is not 100% effective at preventing disease. You know, early on in the pandemic, when we had other variants that were circulating, the vaccine was amazing at preventing illness. However, the vaccine is highly effective at preventing hospitalizations and deaths, especially if you get all the doses that you should be getting. So if you're up to date with your vaccines, which at this point, depending on your age, can be either three doses or if you're older um, than age 50, it would be four doses of vaccine for some individuals. So with that mindset that the vaccine is not 
100% effective at preventing illness, but is incredibly effective at preventing hospitalizations and deaths. When we look at the pediatric age group, they don't have the same rates of hospitalizations and deaths that older adults do. But we do know that children have died from this. So we've had over 440 children who are age zero to four years of age die from COVID-19. Um, this is much higher than what we see with the flu. We don't see these high death rates with the flu, especially because we do have a flu vaccine that does protect against hospitalizations and deaths. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to minimize the impact of COVID-19 in this age group. And it's, it's hard because we're comparing adults with children Children don't die as often as adults. They shouldn't. They should proceed on from, you know, infancy to toddlerhood to childhood. They're a relatively healthy bunch. And so we, we really do want to do everything possible to protect them. And then as far as the hospitalizations questions, we, you know, we didn't, again, see a lot of hospitalizations early in the pandemic for this age group, but we saw a ton of hospitalizations during the Omicron phase. You know, the, if you look at the charts, there's this huge wave of hospitalizations that happened in the winter during Omicron. So definitely this age group was at high risk for hospitalizations and we didn't have a vaccine. And, you know, now luckily we, we will have a vaccine so we can prevent these hospitalizations. Sorry, Steve, if I would just add a little bit more. I know that in, if we always talk about acute illness, we talk about pneumonia, preventing pneumonia, preventing hospitalizations, preventing death. But really, you know, there's other thing, impacts of COVID, right? So there's long COVID. Um, it can affect anywhere from eight to nine, you know, 20% of children who get it. We haven't really looked at this in this young age group, but we are worried that there could be impacts for um, even this age group. And then there's things like disruption of care, disruption of schooling. I've heard of some parents say that they've had to be quarantined and isolated repeatedly through the year so their child isn't getting the socialization that they need. It's really hard to mask these younger children. They're maybe less compliant, uh, not because they don't want to be compliant, but because it's really hard to not fiddle around with their face. So we know that these, again, these vaccines are not 100% effective at preventing transmission, but all the data so far does seem to suggest that they do prevent a, a proportion of people getting infected. So it does make infection that much less common. So on top of preventing hospitalizations and death, it can also keep hopefully children children more in school, more engaged in social activities, and prevent things like long COVID and the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, which is this horrible illness in children. You made so many great points there, and I, I just want to circle back to a couple of them. And by the way, if you haven't listened to two episodes ago, episode number 85 of our podcast is on long COVID. So I recommend our listeners to go back to listen to that one. It always amazes me that to think about that a lot of people die from influenza every year, and we don't really talk about that very much. It kind of gets lost in the conversation. Yeah, and I have to say that I do think about that a lot because I work <laughs> in a hospital with children, and I see every year children who get really, really sick, you know, have to be in the ICU, have to be intubated, have to be on bypass, cardiopulmonary bypass machines because of influenza. And it's devastating. And these children are often not vaccinated. And it's really hard for that discussion to happen that this is something that is potentially preventable, but does require all of us to get vaccinated, even when you're feeling 100% well, you know, and, and a lot of these children are healthy. And I think the data that they have shown over and over is that some children who have chronic underlying conditions like asthma or diabetes are higher risk for being hospitalized. But about one third of children who are hospitalized with COVID are, have no underlying conditions. They're not obese, they don't have diabetes, they don't have asthma, and yet they're still getting um, hospitalized with complications of COVID-19. 
Let's move on to the next question, Dr. Yigene. What is evaluated in terms of risk for this age group, meaning six months to five years, when compared to an adult? So I think that you're speaking about the clinical trials. Is that what they're yes. referring to? I think that's being evaluated? what this refers to. Yep. Yeah, so they're looking at vaccine effectiveness. Similarly, so they're doing two different types of studies. One is immunobridging. So immunobridging basically means that they take the antibody response from a healthy group of people, um, like a, you know, they, in this age group, they use 16 to 25 year olds. So they looked at the, their antibody response, and then they checked the antibody response for the thousands of children who got the vaccine. They wanted to make sure that the antibody response in this age group was similar to what you were seeing in the you know, 16 to 25 year olds. So um, that's the number one thing they look at. And once they look at that, they have an idea of how much antibody response and how much protection a child has. Then they look at protection from being infected. So if anyone who's in the trial has symptoms of COVID-19, uh, meaning a fever or a cough, vomiting, diarrhea, any nose, all those symptoms that we associate with COVID-19, they get tested. So they get tested for COVID-19 via, you know, a nasal swab. And so, you know, the, they're, what they're looking for is what percentage of people get infected uh, with COVID-19 in the group that had the vaccine versus the group that did not have the vaccine. So that's the vaccine efficacy that they're evaluating. Then they follow up these individuals for months. <laughs> but at least a median about two to six months, and they look for any side effects, any other issues that they might have had with the vaccine. So these individuals have to fill out a diary saying, you know, have they had any sort of side effects from getting the vaccine? Once they have that information, they submit it to the Food and Drug Administration for review. What do the studies show in terms of effectiveness for the vaccines in the age group? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, several different vaccine products. So I'm going to kind of try to break it up between Pfizer and Moderna. Got it. Um, so they, they evaluated Moderna in both the two to five year olds as well as the six months to 23 month olds. So when you look at efficacy, they found an, a vaccine efficacy against disease, again, like when you mentioned, having the upper respiratory infection, you know, and also getting a positive PCR, the vaccine efficacy was about 37 to 46% for those who are two to five years old, and about 31 to 51% for the six to 23 months old. And this is after the two doses of Moderna vaccine. I think it is important to know that Moderna is currently investigating a third dose, so a booster dose for this age group too. So that's in the horizon. Now, Pfizer did a similar study, but they did a three-dose series. So they not only looked at two doses, they, you know, they, they weren't happy with the results, so they gave another dose, dose number three. And for them, they reported a vaccine, overall vaccine efficacy of 80% after three doses. That's what the clinical trials showed. And again, they're just looking for infection. We think our vaccine efficacy is much higher for hospitalizations and deaths, but these were small, small enough trials that they didn't see a lot, you know, they didn't see hospitalizations and death, thankfully, in these trial participants. What about side effects? Did either Pfizer or Moderna show any side effects with kids? Yeah, they, they, they showed a lot of data looking at, you know, what they found. Like I mentioned, everyone who got the vaccine then had to fill out a diary talking about their symptoms, and then they were able to show a lot of that information. So in general, the side effect profile was very similar to what adults report. You know, there's a little bit of nuance because we're talking about children. So for those who are six months to 23 months of age, a lot of them weren't, you know, speaking in full sentences, they weren't saying, <laughs> oh, my arm hurts. Right. But they were more irritable. So they about, you know, anywhere from, you know, about half the kid did seem more irritable after they got their vaccine. Um, 
um, usually resolved in one to two days. For the two to five-year-olds, they had a, more pain. So they were actually the ones that were saying, my arm hurts. And that was more common in the Moderna trial. So it was about 60 to 70% in the Moderna versus only about 27% for Pfizer. And then for Moderna, they also reported that, you know, with the second dose, about one in four had fever. They defined as fever as 38 degrees. Very few, less than 1% had fever over 40 degrees Celsius, but that was a side effect that was seen in one in four children. And we do think that that's probably related to, um, you know, Moderna just has um, kind of a higher dose of mRNA in their vaccine. That's probably explains maybe some of this um, increased reactogenicity. Have the side effects been worse after a particular dose, like after the first dose or second dose to the side effects? Are they stronger or more severe, I should say? Yeah, overall, I think for all mRNA vaccines, we've seen that people have the most side effects with the second dose. Okay. Um, that's not 100% true, but that's, you know, the overall trend. And that was similar to what they saw with these trials. But it might be good for parents to know that that's something that they can look for. I think the other thing I would really encourage everyone is to not suffer in silence. You, know, you can give some pain medicine if your arm is hurting. You can rest. You know, these are things that try to kind of plan around. Um, my son just got his booster and he's doing summer camp and he's doing basketball camp. So, you know, he did have pain and I did give him some Tylenol. There's no reason to not make things as comfortable as possible. I would definitely not recommend pre-dosing though, because a lot of people don't have any side effects. And so you don't need to give them any medicine before that. But if you do experience side effects, you can take some medicine. Okay, we have a question about myocarditis. Specifically, have any children under 12 developed myocarditis after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine? So tell our audience, what is myocarditis? And, and then share, did any kids develop myocarditis after the vaccine? So myocarditis is an inflammation of the muscle of the heart. Pericarditis is the inflammation of the tissue surrounding the heart. So myocarditis, pericarditis, often you'll have a racing heart. You might have some chest pain, shortness of breath. You know, people who experience this sometimes will need to be in the hospital for a certain amount of time. Usually with, with COVID-19 vaccine, it's a very short amount of time, they usually recover fully and are able to go back to normal activities. Uh, with viruses, including COVID-19 virus, it tends it can be very, very dangerous um, and can cause them to require hospitalizations for long periods of time or even transplantation. Some people will need to get higher heart transplants from it. There was a safety signal noticed in mostly 16 to 25-year-olds males. They were they noticed an increased risk of myocarditis with the COVID-19 vaccine. Again, most of these cases were relatively mild, um, required just a little bit of rest, possibly an observation in the hospital. But because of that, we've been looking for that in all the different age groups. And luckily, we haven't really seen that in the 5 to 11-year-olds um, to the same degree. So there have been cases of myocarditis described with 5 to 11-year-old boys who've gotten the vaccine. The rate seems to be about two in a million. So it's a very rare complication. And luckily, all of them have, to date, all of them have recovered fully um, and, you know, seem to be doing well. Definitely something that is being evaluated in the younger age group too. But, you know, in the trials, they didn't see any cases of myocarditis and really it'll probably be a very rare side effect. So in the order of, you know, one in a million. So Great. That, that's excellent. Okay. There's a question here about vaccine efficacy and it's, is the vaccine for children under five the same formula as the vaccine given to adults? Yeah. So um, they have similarities, but the dose is different. 
So for Moderna's under six, it's 25 micrograms, which is one fourth the adult dose. And for Pfizer, it's three micrograms, which is one tenth the adult dose. Okay, got it. What about protection against new variants? We're seeing a lot of news about the Omicron variant and the new variants related to Omicron. Will these offer protection against new variants? So what we've seen um, with these vaccines in general is that you know they do stimulate different parts of your immune system. So you get protection in different ways. And what we've noticed is that sometimes with new variants, because the spike protein or the proteins outside of the virus look a little bit different, that you might not get as strong as protection against just getting infected. So you might still get sick with, with the disease, but you don't get hospitalized, you don't die, you don't get in the ICU. So there, you know, most people will say, oh, I, you know, I was boosted and I got infected with COVID and I was sick for two days and then I was fine, which is kind of what we want. We want the the virus to be, um, honestly, we would want it to be gone, gone forever, but we don't want it to have, you know, any sort of impact on someone's long-term health. So definitely, you know, you with new variants, we would predict that maybe the vaccine would be less effective at preventing all infection, but what we've seen is that they continue to be really effective at preventing severe illness, hospitalizations, ICU admissions, and deaths. Okay, so another question about COVID-19 vaccine and timing. How much time should lapse between the vaccine and a booster for a healthy seven-year-old? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I have uh, myself, seven-year-old, so I, <laughs> I, I do know this pretty well. Um, it's five months, so you can get the booster five months after the second dose of vaccine. Got it. Okay, that's great. All right, what about recommendations for vaccinating a four-and-a-half-year-old? Should we get them vaccinated right away or wait until the five-year-old dosage yeah, um, I, I think, uh, you know, we've seen this for a lot of parents. Um, right now, we're experiencing a high level of COVID transmission. And so I would recommend individuals getting vaccine as soon as possible. So I would go ahead and get your 4.5-year-old their vaccine as soon as possible, knowing that if they turn five before their next dose, they'll likely be able to get the vaccine for the older um, children at that point. But at this point, don't never miss an opportunity to vaccinate and get the vaccine that's appropriate for your age. And do you have a sense for when we will be able to book vaccine appointments for our youngest? Are we talking like immediately after the FDA approves? How long are we waiting here? Do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I know we're all really eager. The plan is for us to get the doses as soon as the CDC gives it approval. So once we get the CDC director's approval, we will sh- we should have vaccines delivered and you should be able to get your vaccines the day after. Great. So that's a little bit related to this next question, which I thought was really interesting. Will there be more outdoor vaccination sites? I cannot find any more locations where I'll be able to get my four-year-old daughter vaccinated outdoors. These kids are still unvaccinated and should not have to risk getting infected when they are getting their shot because no one is masking indoors anymore. Please open more outdoor clinics, at least temporarily, so parents who are eager to get their kids vaccinated have a safe option. Can you speak to whether the department is planning more outdoor vaccination sites for kids? 
So that's an interesting question. There's a lot of different vaccine sites. We, you know, at the Department of Public Health really do encourage people to go to their medical home. So to go wherever your pediatrician is and get your vaccine with your pediatrician. However, we do have a lot of other options as well. So we have our seven Department of Public Health points of dispensing, our pods. Some of them do offer vaccinations outdoors. Some of them are indoors, but they're really well ventilated. And I can reassure you, everyone's wearing their mask indoors. So those are also available. And then we, we're going to have different schools and early childcare education centers host vaccine clinics. And most of those are outdoors. Um, so we've been doing that since the very beginning. Schools are an amazing location to host vaccine clinics that are trusted source in the community, people know how to get to their school. So there's a lot of school-based sites and some of them are drive-through, some of them are outdoors. Um, I think with the heat, it's really hard to have a fixed site that's outdoors um, without, you know, causing heat stroke and other complications. So we, you know, offer you a combination. But um, I would say that if you can get it from your regular provider, that's the best way. If not, um, we do have these other options and hopefully some of them will provide outdoor vaccinations. Uh, so I'll just add that our department has a great web page with a service locator where you can look up the vaccination sites in your neighborhood and we will link that into the show notes for this episode so you'll have a hot link right in the show notes in your podcast player so go check that out when you're done listening okay there's questions about the types of vaccines that may be available are we expecting both moderna and pfizer to be widely available once approved by the fda that's a great question. We do think that a lot of providers will be ordering both Pfizer and Moderna or, you know, one or the other, but there should be both of those available in Los Angeles County once it's gone through the approval process. We do have about 900 different sites. This includes clinics, pharmacies, mobile vaccine teams, vaccine pods, hospitals that, you know, have said that they're going to order the vaccine and provide it once it's available. So hopefully there should be one very close to you. Great. There are a few questions about pharmacies specifically that may not administer under age three. So this question reads, what is the plan for accessibility for kids under five since some pharmacies won't administer to under three and many pediatricians office won't carry the vaccine? So is that true or some uh, pediatricians not carrying the vaccine? It is unfortunately true, and we really would like to get them um, to become a vaccine provider. So um, if your pediatrician has any questions about becoming a vaccine provider for all the pediatric practices that would like it, extra assistance, you know, we're, our team is here. We're here to help you and make it as easy as possible. We really do want every single pediatrician to become a vaccine provider or any any provider for kids, you know, family medicine, doctors, etc. You know, that's number one. We think about two thirds of pediatricians are vaccine providers. So that's the good news. And the majority are, but there's still some who haven't had a chance to enroll yet. As far as where else you could go, other than encouraging your pediatrician to go ahead and offer the vaccine, like I mentioned, there are Department of Public Health pods. They'll be open and ready to go. When the vaccine is approved, we do have Department of Public Health clinics that will also have the vaccine product. And then our mobile vaccine teams, which will be setting up clinics at different locations. So I would check with your early childcare education center if your child is of that age, where they're preschool. If they aren't hosting a vaccine site, we could help them host one at their location. And then we know that a lot of partners are still offering vaccines in different areas like schools or sporting events. Um, so we will we will try to make sure that we find it. So on our website, vaccinatelacounty.com, they have the list of where you can get vaccines and you can check on there as soon as um, I think as soon as it's approved, we should try to post all our sites that it will be giving vaccine and we'll try to include all the information you need, including 
Will they be giving the pediatric product? Will they have Pfizer? Will they have Moderna? And the hours they're open. Great. And again, we'll we'll have a hot link for that uh, vaccinate LA County in our show notes for this episode. Well, I think we've come to the end of our questions. And uh, Dr. Yagana, as always, a wealth of knowledge and expertise. And really appreciate your time. And thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really enjoyable. Listeners, if you or a loved one have difficulty leaving the home and would like to be vaccinated against COVID-19, you can request in-home vaccination services by calling 211 or by calling the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health's Vaccine Call Center. And that number is 833-540-0473. Again, that's 833-540-0473. And operators are standing by 8 a.m. to 8.30 p.m., seven days a week. Now, you can also go online and fill out an online request form, and we will include a link to that form in the show notes for this page. We have an in-home vaccination page in both English and Spanish where you can make self-referrals, and they also accept referrals from caregivers, loved ones, organizations, agencies, and healthcare providers, among many others. All of those are welcome. All available vaccines are offered at no cost. And household members or caregivers can also be vaccinated at the same time. For resources related to paratransit and free rides for vaccinations, again, call the Public Health Vaccine Call Line Center. And that's, again, 833-540-0473. Or visit our How to Get Vaccinated page. Again, a link will be in the show notes for this episode. In addition, we are currently offering in-home COVID-19 vaccinations for families working with home visitation programs. Home visitors can offer COVID-19 counseling and refer to our mobile vaccine nursing team. We offer all available vaccines to any eligible household member at no cost. For information about home visiting programs in Los Angeles, go to edirectory.homevisitingla.org. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the L.A. Public Health Podcast.